Well, good morning. And uh, if you join us online, good morning, <laughs> where, where, however you're watching it. Hey, we've had some beautiful days together, haven't we? Uh, the weather's just been great. Another beautiful day today. And uh, as Mark said, we are going through the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, you can find that passage in Galatians 5. Uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And specifically in verses 22 and 23, he uh, lists the fruit of the Spirit. And that would be a great passage to read through over and over. And the, the, the neat thing about the fruit of the Spirit is you don't just get one you get all of them at the same time. So when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you get all of the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, so that's why Paul tells us in that chapter to keep in step or walk in the Spirit. Uh, what I want to do today, so we're going to talk about the fruit uh, peace. We're going to talk about peace. Um, so I want to just kind of answer what I think are some of the more, more important questions about peace and what, uh, what that has in mind as far as the fruit of the Spirit um, so the first question really is, what is peace? And I think most of us think, well, peace is the lack of conflict or the lack of war. You know, we're living in peace, you know, having a relative amount of peace, either in relationships or as a nation. In the Old Testament, or in, actually in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the main word for peace is shalom. And you've heard people who are Jewish or Hebrew uh, when they greet each other, they say, shalom, shalom. Well, that's what the word means, peace. It means peace to you, peace. Um, in the New Testament, the Greek word is uh, irene. Irene is the Greek word, and it just means kind of the same thing. And the biblical idea of peace in the Bible means completeness or wholeness. That when something is brought to wholeness or completeness, there's peace. That's what it means. So obviously the opposite of that, when when we're falling apart, it means we aren't at peace, right? Uh, so generally, that's what the Bible means. Um, Jesus, one time, remember, he in in the in the book of Isaiah, he's prophetically called the Prince of Peace, right? And the idea there is he's going to bring peace to our world. Now we haven't seen that peace yet, but he is going to bring it. One time, when he greeted his disciples, he said, "Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you." I give, do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the opposite of peace is that. It's fear, it's anxiety, it's, tr you know, feeling uh, weighed down. Now, peace isn't denying the problem, okay? Um, peace is something that it's kind of a calmness in the midst of the storm. And one of the, gr the great illustrations of peace in, in the New Testament by Jesus Maybe you remember the story. Jesus is, they're out fishing. A storm comes, and they're, they're overwhelmed. The boat is about to be ripped apart from their estimation. And some of these guys are sailors. Like, they've been out on the water before, right? They're on the Sea of Galilee, and it's going crazy. And they're just, they just can't imagine. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And where's Jesus? Do you remember that? There, he, he's sleeping. He's sleeping during the storm. They wake him up. And they say, don't you care that we perish? You know, don't you care about us? Have you ever said that about God, by the way? Maybe you're watching and you say, I don't think God cares for me. I'm in the midst of a storm in my life. And I just don't think God cares. He, he's sleeping. He's, he's asleep at the wheel. His disciples kind of said the same thing. Are you awake? Are you asleep? What? Don't you care? And Jesus comes out and he calms the storm. 
Now, in a moment, very quick moment, it went from a storm that was raging so badly that seasoned sailors were terrified to the point where they calm, completeness, wholeness, peace. And you know what, you know what the uh, disciples did when they saw that? They said, he has the power to command the storms, and they were terrified of him. <laughs> First they were terrified of the storm, but now they're terrified of him in a sense that they say, who has this kind of power? But Jesus, in the midst of the storm, was calm. Okay? Now the passage we want to look at today, oh, let me, let me say one more thing. Peace doesn't come naturally to us. It's a learned, it's a learned uh, trait. It's a learned skill. Um, and we're going to talk about how we could do that. So how do we grow into peace? How do we get better at living in peace in the midst of storms? Because we're going to have storms. Jesus says in the world you'll have what? Tribulation, storms. You're going to have those. So how do we live at peace? Uh, turn over your Bibles, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and that's on page uh, five, uh, 953. If you look in your chair Bible, you can find that there, 953, Philippians. I want to start reading at verse 4, and then I'm going to read through verse 9. These are the words of Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord, the Lord is near. Never forget that. The Lord is near. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It doesn't make sense. When you have the peace of God and you're going through a storm, and you're calm in the midst of the storm, people around you are going, that doesn't make sense. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. All right. So a couple of observations from this passage. First one is, we do exactly the opposite of what Paul tells us to do. What does he tell us to do in this passage when we're anxious? Pray about it. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. What do we do? We worry about everything. We don't pray about anything. We do it exactly the opposite. We do exactly the opposite of what he tells us. And we wonder why we're struggling, right? So that's the first thing. And then the other thing, and I kind of hit on this already, the opposite of anxiety or the opposite of peace is anxiety. It's worry. When you're worried, you're not at peace. When you're anxious, you're not at peace. We're anxious because most of the time, I think, we're anxious because we're powerless to control something that's very important in our life. It could be our health. It could be the health of somebody we love. It could be a relationship. It, it could be a whole bunch of things. Uh, my, I, I'm going to uh, gamble a guess that, that, that some of you here today walked in with a burden, and part of the burden that you're struggling with is you're in a situation that you have no control over, and it's driving you bananas. 
Is our fruit this week uh, bananas? No, it's not. Peaches. All right, never mind. That would have worked, though. All right. All right. But here's the thing. If you don't believe or trust in God, you do have a lot of things to be anxious and nervous about. Because you don't believe that there's anybody who has control. So what are we instructed to do? What are we instructed to do? What does Paul tell us to do from this passage? Well, the first thing is, he says, we are to think biblically. We are to think biblically. Um, look at what he says. Let me read these words again. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are we to do? Think about such things. In other words, too often, you let your mind, you let your heart go off. You let it go down negative paths, and you get discouraged more and more discouraged. And what you have to do is you have to say to your heart, say to your mind, I'm not going to go there. You have to stop your thoughts, right? Tim Keller, who passed away recently, I lo loved reading his stuff, and, and just we lost a real... Uh, man of God, he writes these words. Peace comes not from thinking less, but thinking more. Peace comes from a disciplined thinking out of the implications of what you believe. So what Keller's saying is exactly what Paul's saying, or what Paul's saying is the same thing Keller's saying, and essentially what they're saying is this. You think of things like you think of eternity. What does God say about eternity? Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Paul says about eternity, eye is not seen, ear is not heard what the Lord has prepared for those that love him. In other words, Paul says, let your imagination go wild. And in the wildest imagination of how good and how great and how amazing heaven will be, you won't even touch the surface of what it will actually be like. That's one thought you should have. Another thought you should have is how much are you loved by him? He calls you, your, you his son. Your he calls you his daughter. He sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission of one from heaven to earth for you. Jesus went to the cross and gave his life so that you could live. He took your sins so you could be forgiven. Are you loved by him? Yes, absolutely. Does he care? Well, of course he cares. He's proven that over and over and over. He forgives you your sin. He gives you purpose and meaning. He says, uh, basically, Scripture says that we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Before, before it we were even born, God had a plan for our lives. Now, think about that again. Let me say it one more time. Before you were born, God had a plan for your life. So whatever is going on in your life right now may be a surprise for you, but it's not a surprise for God. These are some of the thoughts you have. God has this. God loves me. God has a plan for eternity, not just for here and now. God cares. When we start thinking biblically along these lines, then we put Whatever we have, whatever the issue is in its proper perspective, it gives us a different eternal perspective that we need. So, I think it was about 25 years ago, we were moving here to Dubuque from New York. 
and we stopped and we went to Niagara Falls, and I had been there a number of times, but I don't think my boys had seen it, so we went to Niagara Falls. And uh, the, one of the reasons that we went there is because I wanted to talk to the historian there. They have, actually have a historian there. And I wanted to ask him about the great Blondin who walked across on a tightrope. <laughs> he, he would push a wheelbarrow, put people on his shoulders. It was like the 1930s or 40s. I don't have the date. Don't quote me on it. You can go look it up later. This guy was nuts. I mean, literally, he's walking on a rope across, you know, from the American to the Canadian side over the falls. He, he, he's doing that, right? And, and he, in a wheelbarrow, he's putting people on his shoulders, he's lowering, anyway. But I wanted to ask him about, did that really happen? He goes, oh, yeah, he's, he's got, they, got a whole, they got a whole thing about that. So we're, I was just done with the conversation, and I looked down, and you can't imagine. It's just so awesome. I mean, you see this water going over, and you go, man, you'd be dead. If you just fell over right now, you'd be, you'd be dead. I mean, I know people have gone over and survived, but there's something wrong with them in the first place for trying that. But, <laughs> but, but okay, but I'm looking down, and literally from here to that speaker over there, I see this family of ducks. They are not more than 15 feet from the, where the water's going over. But there's a pool, and it's calm. And I'm going, I don't think they even know the danger that's right near them. In the midst of all of that great power and, I mean, just like that. They're just, hey, we're out hanging out. We're ducks, and we're in a pond, you know. It's like, how is that possible? That's the peace in the midst of the storm that God can give you. That, people don't understand that. They'll, they'll come up to you and say, how do you have peace when you're going through that? And you say, well, it's not something I've manufactured. It's the spirit of God within me, and I can't explain it to you. So he says that first. He says, think biblically. Secondly, pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. He says, pray with thanks. Now, interestingly enough, he, this is not what he's saying. He's not saying, okay, pray to God for what you want. And when God gives you what you want, then thank him that you got what you asked him for and, you know, kind of do that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you pray, God, thank you for what you're going to do, whatever that might be, whether I like it, or not, I trust you, and I thank you for that answer. How many of you pray that way? <laughs> right? This is a prayer of faith. This is a prayer of release. This is a prayer of saying, God, I don't have things under control, but you do, and I trust you with it. That's the kind of prayer that he's talking about here. When he says to pray with thanksgiving, he's saying pray in advance. Thank God in advance for what he's going to do and then trust him. Faith means that we're willing to trust him with the results no matter what they might be. Okay, now we're going to do my exercise. I got my little chair here because I need my little chair here. Now, if you're just visiting with us for the first time or if you're joining us online and you say, well, Matt just got tired. No, this is really a serious thing we're going to do here. So you're all sitting, and hopefully as you're joining us online, you're sitting too. Here's an exercise that I want to encourage you to do. It has helped me, and it may help you. So what I want you to, it's not going to get weird, okay? 
it won't get weird, I promise you. If you know me, you know it will probably, well, maybe that's not a good thing to say. Okay, it, I promise it won't get weird. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay your hands like this, palms open to, and your, your arms on your legs, and I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about whatever it is in your life right now that you're most worried about, you're anxious about. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's work. But you're worried about it. You're anxious. You've been worried. You've been anxious for a long time. And I want you to say to God something like this. Father, right now with my hands open, and my hands open represent me releasing this because I don't really control it anyways. I'm giving it to you. I'm releasing it to you. And I'm thanking that you're going to take this and you're going to work this out for your glory and my good. And it may not appear that way to me, but I trust you. But right now, with my hands open, I'm releasing this to you because it's not my burden, it's yours. And you have a plan and a purpose for my life, and I trust you with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to encourage you to do that often. Because what you just did just now, and I don't know if all of you did it or some of you did it, I don't really care. My point is this. What you just did was you surrendered to God. You said, God, I am not in control of this. And much of my anxiety and much of my fear and much of my worry is tied to the fact that I'm not in control. And I'm just acknowledging that right now and I'm giving it to you. The, the most incredible statement in scripture in my mind of somebody who did this was Job and if you read the story about Job he lost everything and in Job chapter 13 he says this this is Job 13 15 he says to God though he slay me yet I will hope in him in other words what he was saying to God even if he takes my life I will still trust him I will still find my hope in him. Do you know what that is? That's surrender. That's absolute surrender. And the way to deal with anxiety is to rehearse who you are and what he's done and have that eternal perspective. But the second thing you have to do is you have to release it to God. You have to say, it's not under my control anymore. It's his. And you may have to do that multiple times. But I want to encourage you to do that. Here's the third thing that we have to do. We have to love cautiously. Now, here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem that most of us run into from time to time. God has given us good things. He's given us families. He's given us health, some of us, maybe most of us. He's given us jobs. He's given us this country that we live in. We, he's given us a lot of wonderful things that we take, uh, we take you know, for granted sometimes. Um, but here's the thing. When we take a good thing and we make it a God thing, 
then we've just created an idol. But more importantly, what we have done is we have said, I can't live without this. I can't live without it. And when we begin to lose it, our world will begin to fall apart. It could be your job. It could be your kids. It could be a relationship that you have. It could be your health. It could be a whole bunch of things. But when it's attacked, when it's challenged, you will immediately say, oh, no, my life is over. Because we've taken a good thing and we've made it a God thing. I, I, I love... Uh, I love this quote. This is from St. Augustine. He writes this. My soul, you too must listen to the word of God. Don't be foolish. Don't let the din of your folly deafen the ears of your heart. For the word himself, Jesus, calls you to return. In him is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And he will not withhold himself from your love unless you withhold your love from him. You get that? You get what, what he's saying there? You're willing to open your heart and trust him? Are you willing to believe that he has a good plan for your life? Are you willing to release things? Are you willing to say, I will enjoy these things that God has given me, but I will not fall in love with them more than my love for him? The minute you do that, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Some of you married your spouse thinking this person was going to be the answer to your life. And then after a week, some of you maybe two days, <laughs> you realized they weren't perfect. Neither are you, by the way. And uh, they're not, uh, they're, they, they let you down. Because you ask them to do what only God can do in your life. And those relationships will always fail if you ask them to do that. So, where do we need peace? Let's finish with this area. Well, first we need peace with God. Contrary to popular opinion, we are not born at peace with God. I have a little uh, grandson that was born about a week ago. And he's very cute got long fingers, so I don't know what that's all about, but he's got really long fingers. But um, if you're a parent, you know this. This is so true. Um, you don't have to teach your kids to, to uh, disobey. They, they may not even have any brothers or sisters or any friends that come over and play with them. You've kept them isolated from the world, and the first word they say is not mama or papa, it's No. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute, we don't even use that word around. How, where do they get that word? How do, and, and they can barely say a word. They can, what's this kid going to have to go to speech therapist? No. But then you come to know, and it's like, no. You know, it's like booming voice and all that. You know, where does that come from? And, and you say, well, it, it gets better when they get older. Yeah, you bet. I mean, you don't have to teach them to disobey, to be rebellious, and to be disrespectful. That comes naturally. They get PhDs in that. But then when it comes to being, you know, good and nice and respectful, uh, you, you, you feel like, oh, am I ever going to win this battle? Why is that? 
Do you think that because they're not at peace with you, they're at peace with God? No, of course they're not. And, and here's the thing. We're not born at peace with God, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came off of his throne from heaven to earth as a rescue party of one. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He gave his life so that we could live. He took our sins so that we could be forgiven. And the last words he uttered was what? It is finished, right? And so Paul says this about it in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through going to church, not through a tr religious tradition, not through being good, not through trying to be good, not trying to be better than the majority of people in this planet or in this world. It is through Jesus Christ whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. Do you have peace with God today? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is a gift given to you by Jesus Christ when you call upon him. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But also we need to have peace with others. So in the context of, of Philippians 4, Paul is writing, be, uh, he, he's writing, to, uh, uh, there's two women that are kind of going at it in the church. And he calls them out. And, and he pleads with them to live in harmony with one another, to work out their differences. Uh, in Philippians 4, 2, he says, I plead with Eotia and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Relationships are hard, aren't they? There's conflict, even marriage relationships with kids. Uh, but Jesus tells us to, that we're to be different than the world in our relationships, right? We're to love our enemy. We're to pray for them. We're to forgive. How are we to forgive? When they come crawling, when they take ownership for what they did, when, when they, no, it doesn't say that. It says forgive as you have been forgiven by him. Right? It's in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, yeah, uh, forgive. Yeah, you, you know where it is, right? There it is. But here's the thing. Paul says it's also true in Romans 12, 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. So Paul's saying that sometimes... There are some people that it's hard to live at peace with, and you have to keep them in arm's length. And I would just say, make sure the path of peace is clear from you out. And if they have a wall up, wait and pray for God for them to take the wall down so that you can have peace with them. But there are some people that you just can't live at peace with. They're on fire, and when you get near them, they burn you up. Right? They're like vampires. They suck you dry. And you have to keep them at arm's length sometimes. That's understandable. But essentially, you are to live at peace. And in my opinion, it's impossible for you to live at peace with others until you're at peace with God. Until you've experienced his forgiveness. Until you've seen the weight of your rebellion and sin. What put Jesus on the cross. Your sin, your rebellion, my sin, my rebellion. Until you see that. It's going to be, until you come to grips with how much he has forgiven you, it's going to be awfully hard to forgive others. Jesus tells a very powerful parable about a servant that goes into a king, and he has this massive debt that he could never pay in a lifetime, and the king lets him off the hook, and it's millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then the next thing you know, what happens? Next thing you know that happens? He's forgiven. He walks out. What does he do? He grabs the neck of somebody who owes him a buck. 
He said, pay me now or go to jail. And he sent him to prison. And people watched that. And they said, they go to the king and they said, do you know what he just did? You know what the parable's about? The parable's about people who don't understand how much they've been forgiven and are unwilling to forgive others who have offended them. And the point of it is this. Until you understand how much you've been forgiven by Jesus for yours, you have a real hard time forgiving others. But when you experience his forgiveness, you're better positioned to forgive others, to humble yourself, to model forgiveness. The forgiveness. The reason you are having trouble forgiving people is because you have not understood how much you have been forgiven. But we need to make peace with God, peace with others, and then peace finally with our circumstances. Paul writes this later on in the Philippians chapter that we were reading. In verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know it, what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in er any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, people love that last verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, well, look at the verses above there. Because it's talking about living contently with little or more, but to live a content life. That's the context. It's not like, I'm going to go out and lift a lot of weight. I'm going to go run. A no, that's not what it's about. In other words, Paul's saying you can learn to live content. Now, I think living in America is one of the hardest places in the planet to, to, to be content. Because we have a culture, a pop culture that says, you need more, you need this, you need this, you need this. Some of you, you can't live unless you have the next version of whatever's coming out. You have to have it. You have to have this. You have to have this. You have to have this. And what it is, it's just our culture. You're, you've, you, you've fallen for the lie of our culture that once you get this, this perfect marriage or this perfect thing or this perfect family, once I have that, then I'll be happy. And then you get, the, the, you get something very good and you go, I don't know if that's enough. Uh, I'm going to say this, one of the ways to help you in this area is this, one of the ways to help you live content in America is this, you have to focus on how people around the world are doing, how your brothers and sisters around the world are doing. We can meet here freely today because people gave their lives for us. We have freedom to meet. You know how many brothers and sisters around the world cannot worship like we are right now? Many. Do you know that if you are here today, or if you're, most of you, if you're watching today, and you live in America, you're in the top 95% of the richest people that ever walked on this planet. And still we think, I don't think I have enough. We have a lot of people in the world today that would probably, 95% of the world would switch places with us in two seconds because we have clean water. We have a place to live, uh, sleep, a bed to sleep in. We have clothes to wear. We have food to eat. We have me uh, medical care that we can get to pretty easily. And yet it's not enough. You see, you can't find this peace and you can't live at peace and live with a peace, uh, peace on your own until you look to Jesus to find peace with God and others and to experience the peace that God, uh, when life gets hard, we need to look to Jesus. And, and here's what I mean. Jesus got the consequences that we deserved for our sin and rebellion. Jesus lost his peace so that we could experience peace. 
Jesus suffered unfathomable pain for you and for me. Think of a Roman crucifixion. It must have been incredibly awful. While he was on the cross, he died with a cry. He died with a cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you understand how loved you are by him, that he would lose his peace so that you could have peace, you will find his peace that surpasses all understanding. Horatio Stratford was a businessman in Chicago around 1871, and that was during the Chicago fire, and he lost his, all, of his, all of his businesses were burned to the ground, as much of Chicago. He lost a little four-year-old boy to scarlet fever shortly after that. And he decided that his family, he had four daughters and a wife, he decided, and Anna was his wife, he decided that maybe a change of scenery, a change of plan would be a good thing. So he decided to um, put them on a boat and send them to England, and then he was going to follow along afterwards. Um, unfortunately, during the crossing, the ship was involved in a terrible collision, um, and it sunk. 200 people died. His four daughters all died. His wife, Anna, was the only one of his family that survived. When she got to England, she sent him a telegraph, and the telegraph started with his first sentence. Saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone, what shall I do? As Horatio got on the next boat to head over to be with his wife, lost everything. He lost his business. He lost a four-year-old son. Now he's lost his four daughters. He comes to the place where the, the, the ship went down, where his daughters died, and the Lord brought these words to his mind. Here they are. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. I wonder if Horatio thought at that moment, I've lost four little girls. Maybe God doesn't care after all. But then he wrote the third stanza. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And I think it's possible that God might have reminded him, Horatio, I had a son too. I had a son. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we know that in this world we will have tribulation and trouble. We will have those dark valleys. But thank you that even in the midst of the storm, even in the fiery furnace, you are there. That we can have peace because you have a plan. You have not abandoned us. You understand. 
because Jesus lost his peace so that we could experience peace. You lost a son. You understand. Father, whatever it is in our lives that is making us anxious, that is causing us worry, help us to release that to you on a regular basis and to trust you with it. And Father, I pray that you would give each and every one listening right now your peace, which surpasses all understanding. And I pray this all in Jesus' name.